And this is our Have Faith segment with today, Reverend Carol Bull, pastor at the United Church of Ware. And we so appreciate you, Reverend Bull, being with us. I'd like to begin by something, well, I assume that very much on your plate this week, which is what you will be preaching, what you will be speaking to your congregation about this weekend, and or have been talking to them about in your sermons in recent weeks. What is on your mind that you want to share with your congregation and with us? Please, Carol Ball. Thanks, Bill, for having me back. This is my first show of the new year. I'm delighted to be here. And um, you always ask me, what am I telling my congregation? It's been really a gift to me that you keep saying that to me. And I am prepared today to talk about what I preached about actually last Sunday. Um, and it was on Martin Luther King Jr. and nonviolence. Um, but I wanted to start a little bit. The last two shows, we talked about poetry of Israel and Palestinians. And the reason we did that is because art comes from the place that we dream. So when we expose ourselves regularly to the reality of what is, the influx of painful news, it's difficult to comprehend and to keep ourselves moving, moving forward in the best ways. So my suggestion that I gave to my congregation is to up our exposure to art, community, and nonviolence. And I'm going to give you a quote from King himself. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe will, working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. And of course, he's referring here to the power of nonviolence in thought, word, and deed. When you t speak to your congregation, do you bring those words of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. back into a biblical context? Do you relate it to scripture? And if so, how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, in the interest of time, I didn't give you the whole first part of the sermon, but I'm going to focus on the ending part, which is quite powerful. Um, and, uh, and, but of course, it is based on the Bible, which we did last week, and we'll do, continue to do this week. So I connect up the power of nonviolence, which was G what Jesus did, with the power uh, that's currently going on in our world. So last weekend, I went on a Zoom meeting to be with the Reverend James Lawson, um, one of my mentors. He was the, um, you know, basically he, did, he worked with John Lewis and trained civil rights workers uh, in the past and also has been in L.A. working for years around uh, uh, justice. So I went on to the meeting, and there were about 50 people there, and alas, Dr. Lawson was ill and couldn't attend with us, so we prayed for his health. But we used the rest of the time, about 40 minutes, to learn about a number of things. One of the things, and this was in my sermon, is a curriculum on nonviolence that has been developed for high school students in California. Uh, we also met a woman on the Zoom meeting who I had not met before named Rivera Sun. She is the news editor from Maine who offers all of us a free email called Nonviolence News. You may be aware of it, Bill. I had not heard of it. 
the email highlights the many, many ways uh, that nonviolence is being used in a myriad of settings around the world as an alternative to violence and to create conditions for change. I'm going to share with you, I won't share with you all the things I shared in my sermon, but I'll share with you one of them, if I may. Please. And this was from Rivera, so this is her words. Uh, one of my favorite stories this week was a piece by a video game enthusiast who reviewed dozens of games to find the 10 best nonviolent video games, each of which ex emphasizes exploration, building, problem solving, cooperation, or competitions without violence, like car races. It shows that violence is not necessary for video games. On a similar te tech note, uh, Rivera as um, our friends at Nonviolence Radio, I hadn't heard of that either, interviewed a disruptive technologies expert on how to make artificial intelligence work for peace rather than the, the default of war and violence. And this is my last word of my sermon. Nonviolence in thought, word, and deed is indeed active in the world today. We need it to be in our headlines. So we stop feeding the forces that wage violence in our names. And then we always say, amen, amen, and amen. Well, I'm into that, Carable, Reverend Carable. But I need to ask you, how do you preach that, that lesson of nonviolence in a time where the world is so violent? Yes, well, this was a, a lovely sermon to preach because, of course, it came out of my, my, the ways that I connect with the world of nonviolence. Um, so uh, it, this, um, there's a, a song, I think I've mentioned this before on the air, called Keep Hope Alive, which is kind of the main song of the, um, the, U, the Haydenville Congregational Church where I was in care for a number of years. So that's my role as a sermon, as a, as a pastor, and that's my role when I give sermons, is to keep hope alive. And we've had a lot of illness in our congregations. Our congregation is elderly, a lot of losses, a lot of grief, car accidents. I mean, it's really been a tough year. But my role is to keep hope alive and to keep diving into my own practices so I can be a loving and ex an example of nonviolence in thought, word, and deed. That's a tall order for anyone, um, but it's a daily practice, and I strive to, you know, carry that out for my congregation. I love them. I want them to do well. Tell us, if you would, please, a bit more. What do you mean about it's a daily practice? How is nonviolence a daily practice? Yeah, you get, we got to be on our own insides, right? So um, when, I re, when I become reactive and, um, to others and, you know, want to be authoritative, for instance, I have to be quiet, go in my office, take a few breaths, remember what I'm trying to do, what's my point. I try to be kind every day to each person who comes to talk to me. And some of them apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, I have to talk to you. I'm like, no, 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 this is my work. You know, to talk to you, to be with you, to show kindness to you. Um, and we also have to do that to ourselves, Bill. We have to be loving and kind to ourselves, which is often trickier for most people than even being, some people are much better at being kind to other people, but they're not so great at, for themselves. 
Um, and sickness brings up a lot of issues for people when we feel uh, wounded and vulnerable. We we just get mad at ourselves. You know, oh, I must have done something wrong. No, 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 no. We all get sick. We all have vulnerabilities. Um, and our job is to be loving towards everyone who is in need. Carol, you were the pastor at Cooley Dickinson Hospital before you went to uh, uh, the, the seminary. Is that, is that the correct term? Actually, I was going to seminary while I was a chaplain there, um, but because I worked part-time at the hospital, 30 hours a week. So, um, yeah, so I, yeah, what's your question there? My question is, did you learn more about counseling doing it at Cooley Dickinson or more uh, while you were studying to become uh, a, a member of the, the, the church? Good question. I would say that, uh, first of all, I did a rotation at uh, Mass General Hospital in chaplaincy. They allowed me to come in and do my one unit of clinical pastoral education there. I drove back and forth three times a week during that summer. Um, and that was a great experience um, because the people who supervised me were wonderful. Um, so I learned about chaplaincy there and then at Cooley, of course. And, um, you know, uh, that was a daily practice as well. You know, lots of people wanted to call on us and ask for our help, and we had to prioritize and then get called to the emergency department for some horrible tragedy. You know, it's hard work, but it's blessed work. And I, I received more than I gave there, absolutely. Um, received much more than I gave. Um, and, uh, and I made mistakes, and I learned from them, you know. Uh, and certain patients were kind of easy for me to talk to, and other people were more difficult, and I had to make my way through that. But I got a lot of support and a lot of care from uh, just seeing other people in operation. I mean, Andrea Avazian is one of my mentors, and she invited me when I asked, said a very uh, lovely yes, that I could come to Haydenville and be in care there. And how beautiful is that? You know, I mean, what a gift to have her help. What does it mean to be in care there? It means that they, uh, they give you some leadership roles, yes. So I did some leadership roles there. I preached there. I did this. I did that. I went to worship planning every week and with the music director and the co-pastor and Andrea. We met every week. That was lovely. I got to kind of see what that process is like of planning worship. It also means that they take responsibility for you and they fall in love with you and they support you. And so Peter Ives is also somebody who's been a mentor to me because he was a you know theologian in residence at Haydenville. So all of the, and it was, it's a very wonderful community there, very supportive. When you were doing the chaplaincy at Cooley Dickinson Hospital, did it teach you a lot? Did it change your views about death and dying? Definitely. Um, what I learned about death and dying is that uh, if we weren't human, we wouldn't be afraid. I mean, most people have fear around dying. It's just a commonality. We all have that. Uh, and some, there's a few who, who don't have that fear, but there's a rare few. Most people have some fear. And so my role as a chaplain was to work with, that, with each patient around what their fears were specific to, you know, what, what were they afraid of? And then we would discuss that. Um, and mostly I tried to listen. 
I tried to talk less and listen more. That was a wonderful instruction that I received um, from, I, I forget who even, who even said that to me, but it's a wonderful recipe for living. Um, so I can become a, uh, I'm sort of a recovering know-it-all. And so I have to let go of thinking that I know what this person is going to say to me, for instance, and how I should navigate that conversation rather than being in the moment, loving them, and staying present and supporting them in the best way I can. We are speaking with the Reverend Carol Bull, pastor at the United Church of Ware. We're going to talk more about navigating really difficult conversations about love and life and death and dying right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our conversation in this Have Faith segment of Talk the Talk with the Reverend Carol Bull, who is the pastor of United Church of Ware. Um, before we proceed to go back to our conversation, Reverend, what denominations are involved in the United Church of Ware? So uh, United Church of Ware is a uh, combining church of the United Church of Christ and the United Methodist Church. I would like to return to your conversation um, with Bill about nonviolence in your sermon during Martin Luther King and uh, focus on nonviolence. And I remember uh, being young and hearing and reading about Gandhi talking about nonviolence and promoting nonviolence. But he also said he sympathized with the deacons for defense. That was an armed civil rights group in southern U.S. And he said that we have a moral right to defend ourselves against the violation of our rights. And I wonder where that lands for you as you're preaching about nonviolence in a world that doesn't necessarily respect the sanctity of our rights. That's a great wide question and a question I definitely um, I'm not going to fully answer today, but I'll do my best. I'll take a crack at this. So I remember in the film of Gandhi, there's that scene where people are being hit over the head um, repeatedly by police with sticks uh, at a demonstration, and they still keep marching forward and they keep getting hit. Um, so that, that was a demonstration that... Um, showed that, uh, and certainly on the bridge uh, in the South, uh, people kept moving forward even though there was threat to their bodies. So um, so there's that on one end, right? Sort of a, a courageous ability to receive. Sort of a, 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 a turn the uh, other cheek, a turn the other cheek. Right, right, right. Well, but, but even more than that, absorbing the, the hatred of others. Um, in, a, in a bodily way. And then there's the whole other end of the spectrum or related, that's related, like domestic violence, for instance, you know, and um, people's, uh, you know, Northampton is a, a domestic violence-free zone. What does that mean um, versus just a regular town that doesn't have that indication? So, um, you know, I, I think there's... Uh, what do I have to say? I, I find personally myself, I have to be uh, loving towards myself and I have to 
carry on my life in a way that works for me and my family and my friends and my community in the best way I can. You know, we can't, as Lawson has said, we can't, we can't do it all. But what we can do is figure out what is our role in the world. And at UCW, United Church of Where, we're still figuring out what our role is. Um, but I've been giving them a lot of teaching and education on nonviolence because, um, because you know, again, we have to hold up this vast history. You know, we stand on the shoulders of others who have taught us these things and uh, at great risk to themselves. So, uh, Buzz, does that get at what you were asking? And if you have some follow-up, I'm happy to try to answer another more specific question. I think that's a really... Well, I have a follow-up. I do have a follow-up. I'd like to know, how do you reconcile all of that with our general place of privilege compared to people living in uh, the Gaza Strip or in Ukraine or being conscripted in Russia or all the other horrifying things that go on. I mean, we can do that, what you're saying here. W what about the rest of the world not so privileged? And you right, that's right. So and and you know that's the history of the universe, right? There's always been those the haves and the have nots, and there's this gulf between. And we're finding it in so many areas now, you know, not only climate but other areas. So what can what can each of us do uh, that makes the best uh, impact uh, from where we sit? And which is not to and also we you know we talk in our church about not, building up funds and um, trying to take things from others, right? We have to be uh, faithful to, uh, to not keeping on these problems that are going on. Well, Carol Bull, I, I think we have to leave it there. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful time. Thank you, Carol Bull. Thank you.